Welcome to Season 6, Episode 4 of Digital Learning Radio. In this season, we are focusing on caring enough to step in for equity, care enough to spend some time in self-work, care enough to get to know your students for who they are, care enough to consider that your efforts toward equity matter. When we talked to Nicole a couple of weeks ago, we discussed the importance of white people stepping in and doing self-work to be able to talk about race. Last week, Kevin Moore helped us understand how straight people could step in for their LGBTQ plus colleagues and students. In today's episode, we'll be stepping in to discuss educational equity for homeless students, and it's our hope that again you'll be moved to consider how you can step in even if you yourself have never faced homelessness or have had experience with homeless students. Today we are talking to Dion Quinn, Region 10's Program Coordinator for Culturally Responsive Education, Foster Care, and Homeless Students. Welcome, Dion. Hey, Dion. Hello, everyone. Hi, Dion. We're so glad you're here with us today. I'm happy to be here today. Great. Great. (laughs) Awesome. Dion, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to your current role. All right. So I'll fast forward to the good parts. Uh, (laughs) I started working in homeless education in 2009 in the state of Georgia. I'm I'm actually from Atlanta. I've been in Texas for about four years now. But there in Georgia, I had the opportunity to work for the State Department of Education, where I was an operations analyst for our McKinney-Vento program. So my role there um, included assisting LEAs with just collecting data, finding out, you know, who is actually homeless within their LEAs and the type of... uh, academic performance that they're seeing with their homeless students, you know, and and again, the identification process throughout that. So just assisting them along their journey of identifying properly and providing those services throughout the uh, homeless students journey. When I first came to Region 10, I was not familiar with the term LEA. Can you tell us what that what those uh, initials stand for? So yeah, if you aren't familiar with LEA, it's our local education agency, which is, it's funny because before I got to Texas, I didn't know what an ISD was. I'm like, what is, <laughs> who says that? Mm-hmm. And we so, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so LEA is just another way of saying ISD in most cases. So Okay. Okay. So then how did you get to Texas? How did I get to Texas? <laughs> so yeah, tex- I've been in Texas for about four years now, and I actually came to Texas to work for a charter school district where I oversaw their state and federal program for a very long time, it seemed. Um, And from there, I I wanted to grow a little bit. That was my first introduction to the state of Texas from an educational standpoint. And um, I I was introduced to Region 10 along that journey in terms of some of the trainings that I was going to. And um, when I spoke to some of the presenters from Region 10, it just seemed like the best place to work. And um, I took a shot once the position became available. I started out at Region 10 in our special uh, revenue department. And from there, the McKinney-Vento Homeless Program became available. And I just said, you know, that's my position. That is the position or the program I actually started my K-12 journey in. And so it only seemed right 10 years later to just, you know, go back into that, complete the circle, if you will, and go back into a program that um, I'm passionate about, that I enjoy working and assisting our LEAs with um, in terms of providing those services to their students. So. That's sort of how I ended up right here with you all today. Mm-hmm. Well, and we're so glad that you are. I think you said McKinney-Vento? McKinney-Vento. Can, can you tell us a little bit more about that? That is not a program that I am personally am familiar so, with. So, yeah. Um, let me start with, so McKinney-Vento is the act that uh, allows LEAs or that requires our LEAs to provide um, services and remove barriers for students who are facing homeless issues or homelessness. 
And so uh, it was passed in 1987 at the time after, you know, a lot of uh, research, a lot of uh, money was spent looking into, you know, how we can better serve our homeless students at the LEA level. And so with that, it, it's gone through several different um, amendments, of course. And so the ESSA version gives a lot more provisions, if you will, that just weren't in place prior to ESSA coming around in 2015. And then what is ESSA? For those who don't oh, know. Yeah. ESSA. So ESSA is the Every Student Succeeds Act, which um, it replaced the No Child Left Behind Act in 2015. And so, you know, again, if you're an educator who, you know, you're working with a lot of our federal programs, I encourage you to follow up with ESSA and learn, you know, how you can best utilize some of your funding that comes with ESSA to support not just homeless students, but students who are struggling struggling. Act- and as a reminder, LEA stands for the Local Education Agency. That just means your district. Exactly. Just to kind of uh, to, to continue that discussion, a little bit about the, the cycle of homelessness, because that, that's sort of what was used to sort of bring out, you know, the McKinney-Vento Act as we know it today. Um, there are so many individuals who, you know, are facing you know, situations, and, and a lot of us are just one paycheck away from, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm being homeless ourselves in some instances. So, you know, we have individuals who are underemployed, who may be living under modest resources or having these fixed incomes, for instance. And so that particularly has an impact. You know, they they run into situations, life situations, perhaps divorce, a natural disaster comes around, all types of issues that may affect a situation that could ultimately, ultimately lead to homelessness. So we're talking about issues where, you know, you maybe domestic violence you're facing a domestic violence issue and it forces you out of your home your own living situation that you know you've been used to for so long from there you know there's there we live in the city of dallas or most of us live near the city of dallas i'll say um, and we probably ride down the road every day and see a brand new structure going up more than likely a condo well individuals can't afford to live in those you know nice big tall buildings anymore there just really isn't affordable housing across our nation and so you know when you're going through a natural disaster we you know we keep seeing these stories of hurricanes coming to the state of texas mainly the houston area and a lot of those individuals are being forced out of their home um, for a very very long time and so from there you know it that outcome leads to homelessness for the most part and at the end of the day, their livelihood is in danger. You know, things that you're used to, things that you're, yeah, we're privy to. You know, those resources, those things, that those tangibles are just no longer at arm's reach for a lot of these individuals who are facing homelessness. Can you give us a definition of homelessness? And we were talking about this the other day, and, you know, I think a lot of people have an idea in their mind of what homelessness might look like, mm-hmm. but, but in our discussion, just among ourselves, we were realizing that there might be lots of different ways that homelessness could look. So can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Great question. So there are a lot of different definitions of homelessness out there. Um, But today we're going to focus really on the educational definition, which comes from the McKinney-Vento Act. So um, any given day we're riding around seeing individuals who are probably on the side of the road with their cup out or maybe even under a bridge. But the McKinney-Vento Act defines homelessness as a child or youth who lacks a fixed, regular, and nighttime residence. So what I try to share with our liaisons, an easier way to sort of think of that is can a student go to the same place every night 
and sleep in a safe and sufficient spot. And so if the answer becomes yes to all of those, then we're probably not dealing with the student facing a homeless situation. But if the answer is no, then more than likely we have a McKinney-Vento situation. So again, we're looking at fixed, regular, and adequate nighttime residence for our children and youth. Another piece to that definition, though, it, it actually includes our unaccompanied youth. So homeless unaccompanied youth are those students who are not in the custody of their parent or guardian and, again, meet the definition of lacking a fixed, regular, and nighttime residence. So you have a lot of different scenarios there when it comes to that definition. Well, and I think that's the one I'm more familiar with. A lot of my students who... I heard that they were living with the teammate's family for a while. They got exactly. kicked out of their house, and that did not even cross my mind that those would be considered homeless. It was like something was wrong at home. The teammate took them in. They were staying with them for a couple of weeks until something settled down. So. Exactly. That's a, a, you know, I think at last count, there were a little over 19,000 unaccompanied homeless youth identified in our state and so you're exactly right Catherine these are uh, what we call couch surfers a lot of mm -hmm. them they run into issues at the home you know and, and McKinney-Vento Act it gives a lot a lot of privileges to unaccompanied youth it, it doesn't allow for their um, concerns to be questioned if a student shows up and says hey I'm having issues at home I've had to leave the house I'm now staying at a friend's home the LEA is expected to just serve that student based off the information that has been presented. So, yeah, there's a lot of good guidance that was uh, reauthorized under ESSA for strictly for unaccompanied homeless youth. Mm -hmm. Well, and then when you mentioned hurricanes, too, gosh, I didn't even think about that because I was teaching in 2005 and we just had a ton of Katrina kids mm -hmm. that came into the schools. And that was that was a whole issue that we were trying to serve the students and we didn't know what was going on plus they had tra uh, trauma issues exactly. so and yeah you bring up a good point um going back to that definition fixed regular and adequate nighttime residence so there are, there are some subcategories that we look at which would include doubled up which a lot a lot of our homeless students find themselves in a doubled up situation which is simply the couch surfing issue or if there was a natural disaster perhaps a tornado came through i remember tornadoes coming through was it Rowlett a couple of mm -hmm, years ago mm -hmm, during mm -hmm. the day after Christmas, I believe. Right. And so we had a lot of individuals who were <coughs> displaced. They may have had to go stay with other family members, which at that point they became McKinney-Vento eligible because they are now doubled up living with other people. Um, another nighttime residence would be unsheltered, you know, those that we are more familiar with, those scenarios such as outside under a bridge or in a mm -hmm. tent or something like that. They don't really have a stable uh, roof over their head. The other piece, of course, would be shelter, you know, so we have a lot of different transitional shelters around the city, throughout the state, different um, homeless shelters that, you know, cater to individuals facing homelessness. But a lot of those places don't take boys or, or young mm -hmm. boys. And so you have other issues there. And then finally, the last nighttime residence defined by McKinney-Vento is hotel motel. Mm -hmm. And so it gets interesting with that because we get a lot of LEAs who call and say, well, they're staying in what appears to be a nice hotel, you know. How could they be homeless? Well, again, the law says <laughs> lacking a fixed, regular, and nighttime residence. So we asked that LEAs go a little bit deeper when they're talking to families, you know. Is that a choice that they're choosing to live in Super 8? Mm -hmm. Or maybe it's the Ritz-Carlton. 
who knows? Um, but for whatever reason, they're having to live there, and that may not be a regular fixed situation for them moving forward. Mm-hmm. Well, and I didn't think about this. I had a student who was living in a hotel, and his mom had just, her dad had just passed away, so she received a large amount of money, and the hotel they were staying at was pretty nice. And it was for a short time, but I didn't even think that he would be considered homeless. And they, prior to her her father passing away, they did not, I mean, they didn't have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. So as you're talking, I'm wondering two things. So how do families know about the McKinney-Vento Act? And then two, once they do know about it, what type of support do they receive? That's a great question, Misty. Um, so the McKinney-Vento Act designates uh, homeless liaison for every LEA. It's required by law. So that's you. And not yeah. me. Oh. <laughs> um, so at the ESC level, I sort oh. of act to support our LEA Got level it. homeless liaisons. Unfortunately, the law doesn't say every ESC must have a liaison, but the state of Texas went a, you know, a little bit forward with this and decided that each ESC should at least have one person on staff that can support those efforts. So, you know, those homeless liaisons are in place to make sure that the student can continue their educational journey without really any barriers. So, you know, removing barriers, that would include immediate enrollment, you know, making sure that when a family shows up and they're claiming that they're dealing with the situation, maybe they're fleeing violence, maybe they've, again, they're running from a natural disaster of some sort. Um, The expectation is that an LEA will enroll those students without question, without paperwork, without documentation. And so that's the expectation given by law. From there, the liaison will set up transportation if that's a desire of the family. And so a lot of work goes into play, a lot of behind the scenes work goes into play in just to make, in making sure that our homeless students, our students facing homelessness, um, have an option to continue their education journey without very, um, with little interruption, let me say it that way. So one of my colleagues in my former district was completely unaware of these services. And we had communities and schools, the CIS program on campus, and they presented at a faculty meeting and they were sharing, well, these are the services that are provided for the homeless students. So is there someone like that on the campus or how did the teachers know about those supports? That's a great question, Catherine. So it varies. It depends on the makeup of the LEA, really. Some LEAs are large enough to have a homeless or a district level homeless liaison and then have a campus level liaison where some districts they just funnel everything through the homeless liaison and so I applaud those districts who have layers you know because again that shows that there's multiple support layers for those students and those families facing homelessness Um, not to say that a LEA that only has the homeless liaison isn't doing just as good of a job. But again, you can see that there's structure in place to make sure that um, these students can continue their education journey again based off the law and removing those barriers, you know, getting the right tutorials in place, the right support services in place when it comes to just the educational needs. And that, to just take it back a little step, that's what McKinney-Vento focuses on. I know that, you know, there may be some listeners out there saying, well, what about other needs outside of the school um, day? Um, Unfortunately, McKinney-Vento only allows an LEA to focus on those needs, those educational needs. But, you know, hopefully we have a little um, time to get into this discussion later where the community is encouraged to be involved in supporting the needs of homeless students. 
I, I'm finding myself wondering what are the the statistics about homeless youth and like how how many students might a teacher reasonably expect to have over a grade level a, a, a career of teaching so yeah it's that's a great question Nancy and it's really tough to pin down and so I'll tell you why um, here in the state of Texas we in most states we try to do a great job of identifying but it's just hard a lot of people don't want to be identified there's the stigma that comes with homeless for instance um, I encourage LEAs to try to stay away from the phrase homeless. You know, if you can address a family as uh, a family in transition, you know, um, their FIT program. I know a lot of LEAs call it their FIT program, families in transition. Um, putting the student first, so a student facing homelessness. You've heard me correct myself a few times um, where, you know, if we can say it that way, a student facing homelessness. And then finally, um, McKinney-Vento student, you know, that might be another um, best practice in terms of addressing mm -hmm. the student situation altogether. But um, nationally, you know, la uh, last I saw, there were about 1.3 million students um, pre-K through 12 who have been identified as homeless. Here in the state of Texas, at last count, we don't have official numbers, but I'll give you two, two uh, sets of numbers here. 2016-17, um, there were about 111,000 students identified throughout the state of Texas. Fast forward to 2017-2018, well that was the year Harvey hit. The number grew dramatically. The number got up to, I believe, a little bit over 230,000. And so again, if you look at the data around that scenario, you had a lot of individuals who were doubled up. They had to go live with other people, other friends, other family members. And so it was very interesting to watch or to look at the doubled up numbers from 16, 17 into 17, 18. They pretty much, uh, I think it grew by 20%. While one of the other nighttime residence areas, I believe it was, I can't recall at the top, off the top of my head, but that number dropped by 20%. So you saw, again, a lot of individuals ended up, um, a lot of individuals who were already um, perhaps facing a homeless situation or yeah facing a homeless situation in one nighttime residence they now found themselves still facing a situation but dealing with um, living in another nighttime residence situation so we don't have numbers for um, I don't have official numbers for it the previous school year the 1819 uh, school year but we do expect those numbers to drop back down to where they were for 16, 17, around the 111, 112,000 mark. What I do know is that about 24% of our LEAs here in the state of Texas are not identifying properly. They're saying that they don't have not one homeless student. And again, based off what our discussion has been so far, given the definition, it's kind of hard to comprehend that that is truly the case. You don't have one homeless student. And so the state of Texas is doing, um, you know, starting to revamp training, find better ways to assist LEAs in identifying those students moving forward. Hmm. Okay, so now since we know the correct w phrase, they're facing, what is it? Facing homelessness. Facing homelessness. Fa facing homelessness okay. or in transition. So we can change yes. that <laughs> in our questioning. Okay, good, good thing to know. Okay, so we know there's got to be an emotional impact for the families for the students so 
what are some tips that you have for educators for helping their students who are who may be facing homelessness or who are in transition? Yes, um, so it's very, very important for those who are working in LEAs to know who their homeless liaison is. I think that's step mm-hmm, one. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the liaison, depending on how large your LEA is, they're doing the best that they can in terms of providing training. But my experience is that this topic doesn't get a lot of uh, a lot of fanfare, if you will, um, when it comes to starting the school year, when you have the professional mm-hmm. development startups, you just don't see it. It may get like a 10 minute spill, mm-hmm. um, you know, to really cover just the McKinney-Vinsale Act itself. But there isn't a lot of time devoted to how we can truly assist these students. So I would definitely encourage teachers and other staff to find out who their homeless liaison is, begin to figure out what services they're providing from an LEA perspective so that the teacher can come on board. You know, if there are other options for extended learning hours or extracurricular activities that teachers can sort of uh, assist student facing homelessness with, then they need to understand that. They don't necessarily have to know that because there is this confidentiality piece that a lot of families hold on to and mm-hmm. respect, respectfully they should there has to be some type of plan in place i think in order to address a situation without necessarily disclosing all of the information so you know we're talking about individuals again if they're in a shelter you know they don't get the opportunity these children don't get the opportunity to really have playtime and so how do we fix that from a school perspective you know um, when it comes to meal times they don't get the opportunity to sit down at the table like you know a non-homeless family and maybe discuss how their day is going, you know. So there's a social impact on that, you know, when we think about how a child is developing. Um, There's just so much more that I think educators can do, you know, become a little bit more empathetic to some of those situations. I have heard of situations where teachers, they do find out about students in their class who are facing homelessness. And so they begin to put, you know, packets together for those students. Um, Perhaps they're um, sending them home with different snacks and and meals and whatnot for the night or for the weekend. You know, a lot of LEAs are doing that now um, to address hunger issues. There, there's a lack of technology in some of our um, facilities that cater to homeless students. So, you know, how do we begin to get past that, you know, when students are expected to continue to do the work? You know, can there be a little bit of leniency for these homeless students when it comes to turning in assignments, you know, or, or uh, doing other activities? So it's just up to LEAs to really work together, work with the parents, you know, parents of homeless students, they should be involved just as much as non-homeless students, you know, and their parents are involved. Invite them to PTA nights and other activities going on where parents are being asked to come out and provide their concerns, their issues, their, you know, provide support in some um, capacity. Again, I think you want to, I think we want LEAs to keep those students involved. That's the point of the McKinney-Vento Act. Again, remove those barriers so that the student feel like they're fully participating in um, their educational journey at the end of the day. Yeah, we were talking about this as we were brainstorming and not really myself knowing very much about this topic, just thinking about some of the barriers that students face. And we were thinking about, you know, like you mentioned, homework or, you know, maybe a teacher would assign homework that they need the Internet for or some sort of a device or even just tutorials and how hard it would probably be for students to to make it to like the regular school hours anyway and then if they're expected to to 
come early to school or stay after for school or their participation mm-hmm. in after school programs or enrichment programs. It just seems like there there could be some inherent barriers in students' participation in, in some kinds of, uh, of activities like that. So is there something in particular that you wish teachers would know about how to kind of think about these these things and reframe some of some of that for um, that would be useful for these students' success? Oh wow! I think again the training that is out there. There's so many different resources and so much training. It you know, and this is we're we're just kind of hitting the tip of the iceberg here with today's conversation. But you know, one of my favorite resources, Schoolhouse Connection. I love them because they break it down, break it down based off where you're at in that LEA. So if you're a teacher, if you're the registrar, if you're the principal, you know, how can we begin to address issues when it comes to students who are facing homelessness? How can we address those issues from the chair we sit in? And so, again, from a teacher standpoint and just from a from an educator standpoint altogether, I just employ that um, or would expect that. LEA staff, they, they do everything that they can possibly do to be trained on some of the needs of these students. Understand the traumatic situations that they're facing. Understand that it is not the student's fault. I think that's one of the main keys is to understand that that student didn't choose this life for themselves. You know, it, it again, if we're talking about an older student, you know, we have students who are choosing different lifestyles and are being asked to lo- leave their home, you know, and the safest place that they can go sometimes is school. And so creating a sense of normalcy for those students, you know, that that is going to be key. I think moving forward, we have to do a better job of, uh, again, training community partners. There are a lot of different agencies who, you know, they provide services to older adults and they don't necessarily cater to the younger students. You know, they're looking for housing when it comes to older adults and what they're facing. But, you know, I'm getting a lot of agencies, Tarrant County Homeless um, Coalition, for instance, they're now they're now wanting to understand more about how can we start addressing the situation at the younger ages, because eventually those students are going to grow into adults. And we want to make sure that whatever we're providing at this level can continue to sustain them through their adulthood. And they don't end up having to go into an agency like the Tarrant County Homeless Coalition for help you know, later down the line. So whatever, however districts feel that they can better benefit the lives of homeless students, I encourage them to continue to do that. So you talking about younger students makes me think about something that's very close to my heart, and that is the foster care system. I am a, I'm a I am I was in a foster care um, home as a child, and as a teacher, there was a foster care center that was right across the street from us. So we got all of the foster children, and we only had them for a very short period of time because it was a temporary housing unit. But in in saying that, we didn't have any records on them. Um, sometimes they were there for a week. Sometimes they were there for months. But it was it was very difficult to assess and provide the support they needed in such a short amount of time. And then when we did kind of get to know them and provide support, we wanted them to take that to the next school or the next place that they went. Uh, but there was no way of tracking that, and there was no way of knowing what they knew, and there was no way of sharing what they learned from us. So how would you address the needs of students that might only be at a school for a short amount of time? 
Good question. So that is still a challenge. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, I had a question a couple of weeks ago. You know, there's a family that they're going from one district to the next, and then they have plans to go to another district a couple of weeks after. You know, they have a plan in place based off the families that they're able to stay with. But they're really, you know, I think everyone is still trying to figure that part out. You know, mm -hmm. how can we keep up with all of these families who, you know, they're just in transition and it's no fault of their own, really. Um, I would say find a way to utilize technology. You know, um, you know, we have these wonderful iPhones and iPads and we're able to create files within cloud systems. You know, if your district already doesn't have something in place through the student information system, you know, the liaison or whoever is working closely with um, families in transition, begin to set up, you know, your own system to, to transport that information or to transfer that information uh, moving forward. You know, that that's the first thing I would probably consider is, you know, how can you utilize technology to keep that mm -hmm. going? You know, the, the state of Texas, and I just learned this not too long ago, there is a provision in place here in Texas where um, records have to be submitted within 30 days, mm -hmm. you know, and that does still apply to McKinney-Vento, unfortunately. So, you know, we ask that those liaisons, again, they know that they're charged with trying to assist the family with getting birth certificates and other medical re records. You know, if they don't have access to that, then they start to establish that process. So mm -hmm. not only would I do it electronically, I would perhaps give a copy of all of those documents to the family in some type of folder for them to keep as they move about, you know, throughout their situation. So again, just, you know, think outside the box when it comes yeah. to that. And I'd love to hear, you know, feedback on how other districts are handling um, that type of situation because it happens more often than we know, you know, than we want to hear about. Right. Unfortunately, there, the stability factor is uh, lacking for a lot of our students yeah. in this situation. Dion, I think you need to create something. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm thinking of, you know. Let's like, do it together. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's just there's so many gaps in their learning because in transition they they're missing school for a considerable amount of days. Exactly. But I I think above all else as educators our job is to teach yes, but to care even more and um, the students I've had it's building those relationships with them. Um, they are going through such a hard time and academics are important yes, but above all else loving them, you know will help them get through through that transition period. Exactly, I think just having a person who cares, I think that is key, especially for a homeless unaccompanied youth. Again, we're talking about students, young people who are leaving the home for whatever reason, and they feel like that they're out here in the world on their own. Um, well, sometimes that liaison is the only advocate that they have, and so you know these are students who desire to still go to college, still desire to make something of themselves, and they have to have that trusting adult in their lives and that's what mckinney vento requires is that that liaison becomes that trusting adult for those young people and not just the liaison that other support system throughout an lea whether it's a football coach basketball mm -hmm. coach just your favorite teacher mm -hmm. um, having that support system um, you know to to really carry that student forward really makes a difference not just academically but socially as well well, Misty, that makes me think of not just with the foster care system, but um, in my former district, we were at a we had a very high mobility rate because of the number of um, apartments, and so it would be the monthly special, and the exactly. students would be moved. So, it, would those be considered the families in transition, like moving from 
you know, this one's offering three months for free rent. And then. So that's a good question. And, and if we take it back to the actual law, those families would not be considered um, families that are eligible to receive McKinney-Vintel services. Another, and, and it's interesting because Texas, moving to Texas, I'm like, whoa, these are scenarios that I would have never thought of when it comes to homelessness. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there are situations where, you know, families, they're choosing to live, and again, choosing to live in like a uh, show home you know, when new neighborhoods go up mm-hmm. and they're, you know, they're just outfitting a home with furniture. And once the home sells, they move on somewhere else. Uh, that's a thing. It's a thing. Can you believe it? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, not that I'm going to plug anybody here, but um, yeah. And so I, I get that question often, you know, are mm-hmm. these families eligible for um, McKinney Vento services? And based off the law, you know, no, when we look at, you know, those scenarios that cause a person to go into homelessness, that situation wouldn't necessarily qualify. And so we, ch- we try to do our best in making sure people understand what really qualifies. Um, but there are a lot of gray areas when it comes to this law as well. So, Well, just thinking about the relationships, I think it's so hard and you're in the middle of the year and you just get, oh, here's a new student. At the beginning of the month, you're going to have two or three new students and then you're going to have three or four disappear Mm -hmm. and so how do you welcome those students how do you make them come in and then Mm -hmm. understand your community that you work so hard to build in your classroom yeah so I you know I think some of those are similar but and and we've talked about this I worked with some amazing teachers and then I work with some teachers who they're I don't know if their heart is in the right place but making comments like what am I supposed to do with them I'm you know I'm only gonna have them for two weeks or you know they can't even read and they're gonna be gone in you know uh, probably a month it's like to have that attitude attitude is detrimental oh gosh yes you know and um but again on the positive side I've worked with amazing teachers who really care and who really put in the work like I'm going to work with this child I'm going to do one-on-one you know provide one-on-one support and even if they're only going to be here for a month um, I'm going to give everything I can so and I really like what you said a minute ago Dion um, because we're all technology nerds but just making technology work for Mm -hmm. you because we think of you know maybe there isn't wi-fi availability in a homeless shelter for example but many parents do have those smartphones and that is a good way to be able to keep in touch with students and to be able to use that technology for good i think that that is kind of like one of the most amazing reasons that it's a cool time to be an educator yeah. to be able to have that techno- those technology resources to, to stay in touch with our families. Absolutely. There are districts who actually receive additional money for McKinney-Vento mm-hmm. um, to support their students and families. And so that allows them to go above and beyond and create strategies for communication or for, you know, addressing homework issues, um, tutorials, you know. And mm-hmm. so those, um, those districts, I would encourage you know LEAs out there listening to maybe follow up with some of those districts who've been um, receiving the grant and if you have a little bit of extra money sitting over here if you're one of the LEAs without the grant and have a little extra money that you could put towards you know your homeless students um, find out what they're doing you know find out some of the strategies strategies that they're using another great funding source that most of our districts have and probably don't even think about would be title one part a you're required um, to put so many different set-asides or pockets of money to the side from your Title I allocation, one of them being the McKinney-Vento Title I um, Part A set-aside. And so that allows districts, again, to go a little bit above and beyond 
um, in meeting the needs of their homeless students. So, you know, while Title I encourages us to focus on the academic needs, um, there is some um, little wiggle room there that allows for Title I Part A set aside to be used for transportation because that is one of the main issues or one of the most needed services when it comes to uh, a student facing homelessness is transportation. And it continues to cost LEAs several thousand several thousands of dollars um, throughout the school year. So again, Title I Part A can help offset some of those costs when it comes to transportation. Okay, we've been talking a lot about race on the podcast. What's the correlation between race and homelessness? Great question, Misty. So there's some research out there. And again, this research can be found on schoolhouseconnection.com. They did a study um, looking at all different types of scenarios. So black high school students are almost three times more likely to face a homeless situation than their white counterparts, whereas Hispanic students are almost two times likely to face a a homeless situation than their white counterparts. It's very interesting because I believe your last podcast, you um, had some individuals speaking from an LGBT experience as well. And so there's research showing that three out of every 10 um, LGBT high school students that have, have been identified they will also face a homeless situation Mm. at some point. So there are some numbers out there when we're looking at the um, equity factor and and who's really facing homelessness. There are some numbers out there that I would encourage our listeners to go out and and really look up. You know, the suicide rate amongst this group is skyrocketing. So again, you know, when we're thinking about how LEAs can best support those situations, you know, utilizing counselors, understanding the needs of those students, understanding exactly what they're facing, some of those traumatic experiences that they've gone through, that again, doesn't lend to trusting adults all the time. You know, you have to really um, break it down or break, you know, do your best to break it down for for that trust factor to be built amongst those students, mm-hmm. you know. So again, the information is out there. Please, please, you know, dig in a little bit more. And um, I'll, you know, leave that information with you all so that you can share that with the listeners as well. And Dion, this, you know, I'm reading Culturally Responsive Teaching in the Brain, and they talk about the social, socio-political context, which is a series of mutually reinforcing policies and practices across social, economic, and political domains that contribute to the disparities and unequal opportunities for people of color. And it... I think it's just not a conversation for today because it's just so we could talk for hours about it, but definitely something that we need to dig more into and start thinking about. Absolutely. I also just want to call out a tweet that I saw because I think that this has such relevance for today's conversation, but this was a tweet from Ken Patterson. And he said, today is a fresh new opportunity to teach our most marginalized students strategies for navigating systems that aren't designed for their success. This is the subversive nature of teaching. I love that. Mm -hmm. I did too. Mm -hmm. Good. Well, Dion, is there anything else that you can share with us to help educators step in and address the needs for our students and families in transition? Yes, yes, Catherine. So (laughs) I think, again, you've probably heard me say it about 17 times already, but training (laughs) is key here. Um, The more training that our LEAs can provide for teachers, for bus drivers, for um, school nutrition individuals, for our registrars, I think 
the better off everyone will be having everyone aligned to the mission of serving homeless students um, based off the goals of that LEA are, are there. It's really key. You know, it, it really is key. Utilizing the resources again, Schoolhouse Connection being one of my favorite resources, um, the National Association for the Education of Homeless Children and Youth also known as NACI. So NACI does a national conference every year that anyone can go to. As a matter of fact, it's coming up in November this year. It's in Washington, D.C. I'm happy to say that next year it's right here in the city of Dallas. So, you know, if anybody's listening and wants to be a part of this national conference, please, please reach out to me. I had the privilege of being on the committee about four years ago when the conference went to Atlanta, and it is amazing. So you learn so much. The other piece is, Texas, we're lucky enough to have the Texas Edu- or the yeah the Texas Education for Homeless Children and Youth Support Service Center, and so they're based in Austin and they're out there to service all of the stakeholders of Texas. You know when it comes to homeless. So if there's a question out there, if a parent has a question, if a teacher has a question, LEA has a question, they can reach out to the support center and know that they're going to get the information that they're looking for when it comes to supporting those students. And then finally, me here at Region <laughs> 10. Um, I'm, I'm always available to assist and help our LEAs. I'm always anxious to hear about some of the uh, services being provided because again, we have a lot of LEAs who do go above and beyond and they think outside of the box when it comes to assisting these families and students. So um, again, feel free to reach out to me if you have any question regarding this program. All right. This season, we are inspired by one of Maya Angelou's quotes, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, you do better. So thank you so much, Dion, for motivating us and educating us and inspiring us to do better to help our students who are in transition or facing homelessness. Thank you for having me today. Yes. So if other educators want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Yay. Okay. So hopefully (laughs) if you have Twitter, that is the best way to get in contact with me. And you can reach out to me at Quinn in R10, Q-U-I-N-N-I-N-R-1-0. Great handle. (laughs) Super cute. Yes. So thank you all for joining us today. We hope you will continue these conversations with a colleague, share this episode with a friend, and reflect on your own beliefs. Continue to diversify your feed, explore the work shared, and check out the show notes for additional resources we refer to today. If you want to continue the conversations or if you have additional questions or feedback, find us on Twitter at Dig Learn Radio. So thanks again, Dion. Thank you.